But I would like to again ask you about how the academy structure. I mean, you said in your book about this like Hunger Game, and um, and that's sad because I think yeah, you, you're right. There's advances, but still we have issue about this power disparity, for example. And I would like to stress again about the mental health issue because I think you came across again as someone who's care about other human being, not only science, just and neglect emotions. And I also think it's a story of your supervisor, Andrew Lynch, at the suicide in 2010. And you don't know why he did that. Um, but do you think because of the pressure in the academy, you have a lot of thin amount of work for the week, 60 hours you have to work? How yeah. do you see this mental That's health? Yeah. That's a very good question. You know, the academia never turns off. It's not like I teach three hours a week and that's it. No, I'm in the classroom three hours a week. I'm preparing 18 hours a week. I'm advising my four graduate students, you know, 20 other hours of the week. I've got a family. I've got responsibilities. I've got committees. I've got to hire people. We have to serve on awards. We have to serve on uh, uh, admissions committees. It's, it's, it never ends. If I wanted to, I could work uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But the mm -hmm. most important thing for my sanity, and I do want to say very briefly, after my book came out in the fall of 2018, a man uh, who uh, thought he was in the running for the Nobel Prize in economics took his own life after finding out uh, that he did not win the Nobel Prize for very similar work. This is for work revolving around global warming, I believe, mm -hmm. um, climate change and, and economics. And we can't say that losing the Nobel Prize caused him to commit suicide, but his friend said he was despondent about that. And it took place right after the announcement. So I do feel like, uh, I, I, as I say, I don't know if, if my uh, beloved advisor, um, uh, Andrew Lang, took his life in any way because he was overlooked. It is ironic in some sense, his ex-wife won the Nobel Prize in chemistry last year, uh, Francis Arnold, uh, in 2018. And uh, that's, uh, they were certainly a power couple and I'm, I'm very happy for her. Uh, yeah. She's gone through great pains too. And it's just amazing, you know, she lost a son, she had breast cancer, she lost her ex-husband who she was close to, uh, the father of her children. And so um, how do some people react one way and others react another way? It's, it's, hard, it's hard to understand, but getting to your point of the Hunger Games, yes, it never turns off. Mm -hmm. And for me, I force my students to turn it off. I, I say, I don't want you, I want you to work six days a week, <laughs> but you yeah. may not work seven days a week. Uh, first of all, it's against my religion, uh, Judaism, to make people work uh, seven days a week because we, our tradition is that uh, working seven days a week, no matter how rich you are, you could be Jeff Bezos, you could be Bill Gates, you could be the richest man in the world. And if you work seven days a week, our tradition teaches us that you're a slave and that the human being should never be a slave. You're mm -hmm. a slave to no one but God. And that, that you're not even a slave, you're a servant, but you're, you're, you have free will. And that the way that you exercise it is in my mind, I turn off my phone, I turn mm -hmm. off work, I don't answer emails, I don't do podcasts. Um, and these are things I love, it doesn't feel like work, but still, if I don't take a Sabbath of rest once yeah. a week, who is in charge of my life? This, this device? I, I don't want that to be the case. So in my mind, that's the way I hope I teach my students to have a, some amount of work-life balance. Now, the other side of it, um, in the Old Testament, in the, in the Torah, it says that six days a week, you must work. <laughs> so in other words, it, said, it doesn't say like you, you could work six days a week, but you have to take off Saturday. Because what if you don't work any day of the week? 
then mm-hmm. Saturday means nothing to you. Um, and so it says you must work, meaning not that you're a servant, but that you are passionate and that you are researching. You're reading about astronomy in my student's case. You're mm-hmm. learning about physics. You're learning about history, about philosophy um, six days a week. And it should consume you as a graduate student because if it doesn't, uh, then you know it's, it's actually a good thing. You might find this is not the right track for your life. Mm-hmm. I really like that you, went, you combine a religious perspective like Judaism and, and science. And that's really, it's rare to find this discussion, to be honest, in, in different life. I'm, I'm not making us to be in generalization, but we missed this point. And I, that leads to the question about publish and parish model in academy. You know, you say that you have to work for six days, but this pressure, I, everyone I would speak with, I am pressured to publish. And when I, I see that, if you want to make a convention, in, like in 50 years ago, you can see who won Nobel Prize. They just maybe in two decades, they don't have this amount of publications, you're just focusing in the real science. How do you see publish and parish model comes from and how we can make it parish? Yes, that's a, that's a, a very good point. Uh, you know, it's not that old. It's not that long. It's not like, um, you know, Galileo was publishing in journals, etc. Most of the time they are publishing books. A lot of times they are popular books. Uh, Newton, obviously. And then, you know, finally they had the Royal Society and eventually they had Nature Magazine was really the first journal. Uh, and I always point out, you know, there's there are many instances where someone like Einstein, after he won the Nobel Prize, he would write a letter to the editor. He would say, you know, um, actually, a few days ago, a young man named Mr. Mandel came to my office and asked me a question. And this is what I thought about it. And then he went through what's called weak gravitational lensing which he thought would never be detectable. Like many things he said were wrong and mistaken because <laughs> we ended up did, we did detect them. Uh, in fact, we measure them with the observatory pictured behind me at the Simons Observatory uh, is going to measure that. And, and we already have with many of the instruments there currently. Uh, and so uh, it's funny, great people can have great flaws. And uh, certainly Einstein did. He was not r- rumored to be a great father to his kids. Yep. I wasn't there for him. Now he didn't have this publisher parish. Uh, he made a lot of um, you know great accomplishments younger in life and, and then later in life was kind of uh, a little bit too overcome as my colleague uh, Sabine Hassenfelder says by being lost in math, trying to you know find a theory of everything from purely mathematical principles essentially. Uh, but the work, uh, the publisher parish model is not that old. I think a lot of it is going aside because of media like this. Um, I had on, you know, the other day, Sean Carroll, Professor Sean Carroll of Caltech uh, in Pasadena. And we talked about a recent result, an abstract that we both read about what's called cosmic birefringence. It's not so important. It was submitted to physics review letters, which is arguably top one or two uh, impact factor journal a result of many, many years of work by uh, Ichiro Komatsu and, and his student uh, co-worker in Miami mm-hmm. and uh, Utah, Miami. Um, and that work generated a lot of controversy. And then, so we started to analyze it, but because it wasn't put on the archive, which is an open source, uh, free publication, no barriers, no hurdles, no hunger games, uh, we couldn't analyze it because it's not public. And I think that model is going to go away. I don't think, I think the journals like nature, like science are going to have to adapt that science is done nowadays by people working, uh, you know, in, in, in large groups and yeah. working on, on very important uh, projects. And this idea that you have to put the stake in the ground or else you won't win the Nobel prize should it arise in some cases, mm-hmm. um, as it did for me, 
I think that model is, is, is going to eventually be replaced. And so I don't think it has much longer before it in its current form perishes. And also before the Nobel Prize perishes in its current form, unless it enacts some of the reformation that that I've proposed and many, many other people, including Nobel Prize winners I've had on my show, like Adam Reese, say they agree with this and nobody disagrees with it, which is the strange thing. Why don't they change it if all these people, including Nobel Prize winners, agree it needs to change?